and in chapter 5, Numbers and in chapter 5, Can I just say this is a privilege to be with you in Midland Park <coughs> and to be sharing with our two brethren who I've never heard before and I've enjoyed immensely as they have considered the Word of God with us. It's rather strange rising to speak at a conference and being able to say that I hardly know anyone in the audience. Feels like I'm just swimming <coughs> in shark-infested waters just not quite knowing where the bite's going to come from, but pursuing my course nevertheless. Numbers 5, and the Lord speak unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, and everyone that hath an issue, and whosoever is defiled by the dead. Now with these three people before us, the leper and the issue, and the dead, let's turn over to the Gospel of Luke. And in chapter 5, Luke 5. <clears throat> and reading at verse 12, And it came to pass, when he, the Savior, was in a certain city, Behold a man full of leprosy. Now over to chapter 8. Luke 8. And reading at verse number 43. And a woman having an issue. And then over to verse number 49. While he yet speak, there cometh one. From the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Leprosy, the issue, and death. When you come to study the five books of the Pentateuch, you should really consider them as the story, the unfolding story of a journey, man's journey. In the book of Genesis, you will discover that man goes down. He's created at the beginning in the image of God, and yet he ends his days in the last chapter of the book of Genesis from being created in the image of God to lying in a coffin in Egypt. Man has gone down. When you come to the book of Exodus, man is going up, up from a scene of bondage, up from the slave market of Egypt. Man is going up. When you come to the book of Leviticus, the people of God are seen going in. God speaks from the sanctuary and calls his people in to the sanctum of his presence. We are going in. When you come to the book of Numbers, for which we've read this afternoon, we're going through. And when you come to the book of Deuteronomy, you're anticipating going over from the wilderness into the land of Canaan. Going down, going up, going through, sorry, going down, going up, going in, going through, going over. 
You will discover in each of these five books that there's a particular cha chapter will deal predominantly with a certain aspect of the death of Christ. So that whatever stage we are at in the journey, pivotal to that is Calvary. So that when you come to Genesis, the book is 20, the chapter is 22. And the aspect of the death of Christ dealt with is the aspect of substitution. A ram in place of Isaac. When you come to Exodus, the chapter is chapter 12. And the matter for going up is the matter of the Passover lamb. And the aspect of the death of Christ is redemption. When you come to Leviticus, the chapter is 16. And it's the aspect of the death of Christ that deals in atonement, the day of atonement. When you come to Numbers, the chapter is 19, it's the ashes of the red heifer, and it's the aspect of the death of Christ that deals with defilement. And when you come to Deuteronomy, the chapter is 21. The heifer into the rough valley, and the aspect of the death of Christ is expiation. Now, I want to bring you this afternoon to the book of Numbers. And into the second year of the experience of the people of God, just as they left Egypt. And ask the question, where should I be in my life? Two years after God saved my soul. First of all, I should be in the good of understanding the aspect of the death of Christ that the Lamb shelters me from judgment. Secondly, that the Red Sea separates me from Egypt. That there will come into my life enemies like Amalek. That every day I should be feeding on the manna. That in the course of my life, I will learn the place where God dwells and the principles governing the tabernacle. And I will learn in these first two years the ground of approach in the offerings that God gave. The burnt offering and the meal offering and the peace offering and the sin offering and the trespass offering. So that in two years, they had discovered this. I'm sheltered from God's judgment by the blood of the Lamb. I'm separated from Egypt through the opening up and the closing of the Red Sea. God saves God separates. If I'm going to survive spiritually, I must feed every day on the manna that God supplies. As I'm sheltered and separated and secured and feeding, there will come an enemy called Amalek. And you'll discover this, that Amalek will come after the rock is smitten and the water flows. Then came Amalek 
When the people of God are appreciating the truth of the death of Christ, the smitten rock, and the water, and in your Bible, water represents two things. Settled water is God's word. Springing water is God's spirit. So when they're in the appreciation of God's word and God's spirit, then will come Amalek. And the only way to defeat the enemies that have been brought before us in previous ministry is this, through intercession, being in the presence of God, the man on the mountain dealing with God. Then comes the principles of where God dwells with his people. When, when Christ sent us out to evangelize, he did not only see preach the gospel. He said, make disciples of all nations so that we go out not to see souls saved, but to see disciples made and saints gathered according to the governing principles of God's word as to how and why saints gather as they do. That's the tabernacle. And then the offerings, that way in which we approach to God. Now, with these things settled in the minds of the people of God, God will, in the book of Numbers, give the first four chapters over to Levitical service. Public Levitical service, one to four. In chapter five, he'll move away from public service and he'll come into the matter of personal holiness. And in the matter of personal holiness, we discover this. There are three conditions which cannot prevail amongst the people of God. Leprosy, the issue, and defilement from the dead. Now, you might say, well, we don't have a problem with leprosy in our country. But may I remind you of this, that things that are physical in your Bible are spiritual in their application. And I would therefore submit to you that amongst the people of God, there's a very great danger of the prevalence of leprosy and the issue and defilement by the dead. Let me explain. Do you remember three great lepers in your Bible? Do you remember the miracle that was performed in Naaman? Go dip in Jordan seven times. And he came back with his flesh as white as a child. And he offered to Elisha garments and gold and wealth. But Elisha couldn't take it. Because Naaman, as a Gentile, was a type of God's grace moving from the Jew to the Gentile. And God's grace to the Gentile could not be measured by money or price. Therefore, he couldn't take the wealth. But one man saw it. And he said, I, I'm a servant. I could have more clothes than I have. I could have more money than I have. I could occupy a higher place than I have. And he went after Naaman and he asked deceptively, 
for the wealth. What happened? God smote him with leprosy. What's the significance of that? Simply this, that God gave him outwardly what essentially his soul was inwardly. So leprosy is an aspiration to be greater than I am and better than the position God placed me in and move outside of the sphere that God has established for my life. And at the root of it is a proud heart. Let me bring you another leper. This time it's a woman. And a sister of Moses. What was her issue? It wasn't material gain like Gehazi. It was this. I'm uncomfortable with God's established authority. I'm a sister of Moses and Aaron. But God has placed them in positions of authority. And I don't like it. And I'm going to challenge divine authority. Where God placed me in Gehazi, the authority God gave me in Miriam, what happens? She became a leper. What's the significance of that? God gave her essentially what she was. Aspiring for a place and a position that was never hers. Why? A proud heart. Here's a king, one of the greatest kings of Judah, raised Judah to a level that they'd never known. And he said, not only do I have the throne, but I also want the priesthood. And so he went into the, into the sanctuary to burn incense. And what happens? He becomes a leper. I'm not content with the throne. I want more. So I submit to you this, that what is the root of leprosy? What is the application of leprosy in the lives of the people of God? It's a proud heart. And are you surprised? Is that not where it all went wrong? Says Lucifer, I will ascend and I will be as the most high. And an assault was made on the throne of God by the anointed cherub, I want to be greater than I am. I'm not content with where God placed me. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You will be more than you are. And I would submit to you this, that the ploy of the adversary of the devil is to take us out of the place where God placed us, make us unsettled with the responsibilities God gave us, and give us aspirations for self-promotion, self-aggrandizement. And it's represented in leprosy. You will discover that when leprosy attacks, <clears throat> it touches the flesh, it touches the garment, it touches the home. Can you see it? It's in my body. It's in my garments, my character. It's in my home, it's how I live. This pride that originated in the adversary himself, seen in my life, in the plague 
of leprosy. And says the word of God in Luke 5, this man was full of leprosy. It affected him without, and it affected him within. Aren't you glad that there is in Christ the solution to the pride of my own heart? Will you notice this? When he comes to the Savior, says the word of God, he fell upon his face. You will discover in your Bible that when you approach God, there are four postures you can adopt in prayer. The first posture was adopted by Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. Abraham stood before the Lord. That speaks of resoluteness. The second posture is in 2 Samuel 7. David went in and he sat before the Lord. That speaks of contemplation. The third posture was adopted by Daniel in Daniel 6. He went and he knelt before the Lord. That speaks of reverence. But you remember that time in Gethsemane? Says the word of God this. He went <clears throat> a little further and fell upon his face. Absolute submission. That's where the leper is. He fell on his face. You see, we will never make any progress in the development of spiritual character unless we get down. If our brother had read just one further chapter in Philippians, listen to this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And such was found in fashion as a man. To the leper had a difficulty, and you might have that difficulty this afternoon. He said this, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. You see, the leper's difficulty was not what Christ could do, but what he would do. And you all know in this part of the world that there is nothing impossible with God if it's according to his will. All things are possible. But is the difficulty in our prayer life not so much what God can do, but what he will do? And oftentimes, oftentimes, we've prayed believing that God can do it and God hasn't done it. And it's left us feeling disappointed and disillusioned, and it's maybe shattered our faith. Says the leper, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Can I say this to you, that when we come to this matter in our lives, be assured of this, that there is a power to perform it and a willingness to do it, just this thing, that we might be clean. In our minds and hearts, and bodies, and lives. Christ just wants us to be clean. Now says the Savior, now that you're cleansed, I want you to go down to the priest with an offering. 
and present this offering to the priest on the grounds of your cleansing. So he goes down, and he's two birds, and he's got cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop. And you might look at that and say, what is the significance of that for my life today? Two birds. One bird was slain, and the other bird flew. Death, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection. Scarlet, sorry, cedarwood, the excellency of Christ. Scarlet, the dignity of Christ. Hyssop, the lowliness of Christ. And the priest would take that and the blood would be applied to his ear and his thumb and his toe. His right ear, his thumb, and his right toe. What's the significance of that? On the ground of cleansing, if we want to maintain that purity in God's presence, we'll need to be occupied with Christ in his death, crucified with Christ. In his resurrection, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And in the course of my life, be occupied with Christ's excellence, his dignity, his humility, and let everything that enters my ear that I hear, and everything that engages my hand, my work, and let everything that engages my foot, my walk, be qualified by Calvary. Calvary. Affecting what I hear, and affecting how I work, and affecting how I walk, the leper. Now, I haven't got much time left, so I'll be quick. Here's a woman with an issue. And just as in Numbers 5 with a leper, she too would have to be put out of the camp. No place for the leper, no place for the woman with an issue, and no place for the defiled of a dead body. And she's been in this state for 12 years. You will notice in your Bible that 12 was the number of divine administration. The administrative hand of God in the life of an individual. And, and God gave this woman 12 years of suffering. We discover further down the chapter that a child's going to die, and she also is 12 years. So that 12 years ago, God says to a woman, there you are. There's a package of suffering. And she said to her family, God said to her family, there you are, there's a package of joy. In the same area, one woman received suffering and the other family received joy. And all of it is for 12 according to the administrative purpose of God. Let me ask you this, can you explain that? Can you explain why God gave one suffering and one joy? Or is it the case that you have to confess? As the scripture says, thy way is in the sea, 
Thy path is in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Let me speak to those of you in the audience, and in the administrative purpose of God, your life has received a curveball. And in the administrative purpose of God, you've passed through some very grave difficulties. Do you know what it says about this woman? She spent all that she had. What does that mean? That means this, that knowing her position against the matter of the law of Numbers 5, she says, I'm willing to give everything and surrender everything to be in a condition that allows me to come before God in holiness and purity. But she couldn't, 12 years. Is that not a measure? Is that not a measure of the commitment of this woman to see this? No matter what it will take materially, I will give it to be in the right condition, to be in God's presence. And yet, and yet, after all that time, maybe you look at your life as she did and say, you know, we're no better than we were before. Says the Savior, says the Word of God this, that she just gripped the hem of his garment. Listen to this. When Jesus perceived that virtue had gone out, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? Let me say this respectfully, and this is a delicate matter. There was no man in the world could understand the feelings and the weakness of that woman. No man. But when virtue went out of Christ, the power the woman gained, he felt the loss. And therefore was able in feeling that loss to completely understand what no man could understand, the weakness and the feelings of that woman in that state. Now what's the point to women today? I say this. We have not an high priest who cannot be touched. You see, he's a man. But I tell you something. Through the virtue that went out of him and power went into the woman, he's a man at God's right hand who can fully appreciate and understand your difficulties as a woman. Now lastly, the dead body. Did you observe that but for this woman, Christ would have arrived in time? But through this apparent, there are no distractions in the life of Christ, but humanly speaking, you would say, if the Savior hadn't been distracted, he would have arrived at the right time. Have you ever taken your time in your Bible to consider the subject of God's delays? An old man in Scotland used to say this, God's delays are not always God's denials. Do you remember when they said, Lazarus is sick? Come now, 
Lazarus is sick. And he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Do you know that as a result of this apparent distraction of Christ, the child died? But we know there are no distractions. There are no mistakes. So that when the Savior comes to the scene, they say this. Trouble not the master any further. Thy daughter is dead. You got it? Let me speak to those of you in the audience. And you've raised children. And though you did the best you could and gave them the best you had, they've not turned out for God in the way that you wanted. And you could write these words. People might say to you, trouble not the master any further. It's gone beyond it. Listen to this. The Savior took with him the three. Let me just say this to you. Never stop praying for apparently impossible situations. Thy daughter is dead. It's gone beyond it. Listen, there's nothing beyond the power of Christ. So he comes in and he says, put out the minstrels. All the light nonsense associated with the hypocritical role of the minstrel. You cannot have sham and Christ's power coexisting in the one room. Put out the minstrels. And he arrives at the situation, and here's the girl lying dead on the bed. And you say, well, it's impossible now. You might have come and healed her, but what will you do with this situation? The daughter is dead. See, the word of God this. He'll take her by the hand. Have you noticed the different times the Savior just took someone by the hand in the Gospels? He took Jairus' daughter by the hand. And he took the blind man by the hand. And he took the young boy with demons by the hand. And he took Peter's wife's mother sick with the restlessness of a fever, he took her by the hand. Now think of this, and just think of what Christ did in our life. When he took Jesus' daughter by the hand, he brought her from death to life. That's what God did when God saved your soul. When he took the blind man by the hand, he took the blind man from darkness to light. That's what God did when God saved your soul. When he comes to the young man with the demons, he took the young man from the power of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. That's what God did when God saved your soul. And when he took Peter's wife's mother by the hand, he took her from restlessness into peace. And that's what God did when God saved your soul. So that, whilst there might be in the leper, and in the issue, and in the sphere of death and defilement, 
these matters that would obstruct us from God's presence, everything that would hinder our fellowship with Christ, or everything that would obstruct our communion with him, and everything that would obstruct potential service for him can be removed in the secret of his presence. I will be thou clean, and virtue went out of him, and he took her by the hand. Is it just possible, is it just possible that you have come to this conference this weekend, and if you were being honest, you would have to say that things are not quite in my life what they ought to have been. And maybe, maybe part of it has been, I've been seeking things too high for me, as depicted in leprosy. Or maybe in your life, there's just been that plague, that thing that just keeps troubling you, that constant struggle as the woman had in the issue. Or maybe it's been you've found yourself in apparently impossible situations which you can't solve and can't resolve and can't deal with. Isn't it great that Christ came and into such a scene met need and restored lives and changed hearts and altered circumstances and procured a better future than they had enjoyed in the past. I, I say this to you, just come to a closer understanding and relationship with Christ. And from that moment, the journey will unfold of more fruitfulness for him and for his glory. May the Lord bless these thoughts to our hearts.